Hello and welcome to another podcast by the School of Surgery. My name is Naomi Lasker and I'm joined today by James Cassidy. Hi James. Hello. So today uh, we're going to do some teaching on chest pain. The aims will be to discuss the common cause of chest pain on the surgical ward and we're going to talk through how to perform a structured approach to reviewing chest pain and we'll discuss the basic management of some of the causes. Does that sound alright? That's fine. So let's, uh, let's keep it simple um, and we'll divide the cause of chest pain into life-threatening and non-life-threatening. So James, what sort of life-threatening causes can you think of? Um, so I think of mainly the main organs, so cardiac, I'd be thinking, is this an acute coronary syndrome? Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm thinking about the lungs, is this a PE uh, or a pneumothorax? Yeah. Um, also, is this a large vessel like an aortic dissection? Yeah. Those, those would be the ones I want to rule out, first of all. Okay. Is there, any, is there anything else you can think of, maybe sort of in the lungs at all? Oh, so possibly an underlying infective process, so maybe uh, pneumonia. Yeah, definitely. Uh, with a large pleural effusion or something like that. Yeah, so I think there's been a big drive sort of in, in all hospitals, especially in England at the moment, to uh, increase awareness of sepsis um, and how that's such a big killer. But obviously these are just some of the, um, these are just some of the big causes um, and common causes of life-threatening uh, chest pain, but there's also quite a few like pericarditis and esophageal rupture. But yeah. we're not going to we're not going to uh, discuss those ones today. Um, what about some of the non-life-threatening causes? What can you think of? So quite commonly, people can have like musculoskeletal injury, um, or they might have just had a bit of uh, external trauma to the chest. Uh, I guess reflux as well. So esophagitis yeah. is a big cause. Definitely, and I think that's something you have to think of, especially when someone's got like a, a an ACS or something, right? So like an acute coronary syndrome. Um, what what uh, what do you divide the acute coronary syndromes? What what comprises of that? So, uh, my main thinking is uh, is this uh, angina? Mm-hmm. So, angina can either be stable or unstable, or is this an infarct? So, myocardial infarction. Yeah. Which obviously that. They can present very similarly, but um, they're very different. Very true. And I think, uh, yeah, so esophagitis, I think a lot of people confuse the two sometimes. Um, Yeah. So we need to be aware of that. And uh, another common non-life-threatening cause, which I think quite a few chest pains tend to to be when they come to to A&E, is is non-specific chest pain. Do you know much about that? No, not really, actually. So essentially it's a diagnosis of exclusion. Um, so when we've done sort of all the main tests that we're going to talk about soon, um, if we can't find any sort of any reason the blood tests are normal, the investigations are normal, etc., um, sometimes we do diagnose people with non-specific chest pain. Okay. But once again, that's a diagnosis of exclusion. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I want, I want you to keep all of these common causes in the back of your mind um, okay. as we talk through some cases now. Yeah. Okay, case one. So we've got a 54-year-old man who presents to preoperative assessment clinic for an elective inguinal hernia repair. During the consultation, he starts complaining of acute onset chest pain and shortness of breath. So you've got a nurse with you. What's the first thing that you'd like them to do? Well, basically I want them to get the patient to sit in a position where they're comfortable or lie in a position where they're comfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's always good just to start with a set of observations to see if there's anything Excellent. we can correct. Yeah. So, um, so the observations will, will really help you decide if the patient is stable or unstable. Yeah. And then that will obviously determine what sort of assessment that you're then going to do. Observations that we've got for those patients, their blood pressure 
is 124 over 84, the heart rate's 90, the respiratory rate's 18, and they're saturating 96% on room air, their temperature is 37.2. So what do you think, stable or unstable? So for the time being, I'm happy that he's stable. Yeah. Yeah, his heart rate is a little bit mildly tachycardic, but mm-hmm. um, that could just be secondary to the pain. There's nothing there that we can correct immediately. Okay. So, yeah, so this essentially means that now that they're stable, we can kind of leave them for a bit um, and we can fully assess the patient. Yeah. So what's the next thing you'd like to do? So I need to speak to the patient and yeah. try and work out exactly what, you know, what this chest pain is mm-hmm. and get a bit of a history. Yeah. So what sort of structure do you, do you tend to use when you're taking a history for a patient? Well, particularly if, uh, when it's chest pain, I like to use um, Socrates. Um, even though it's quite, it's, it's nice and simple, uh, you manage to get all the information that you need and it's easy to remember. So, yeah. Socrates is S for sight, yeah. O is for onset, mm-hmm. uh, C, character, R, radiation, yeah. uh, then A is associated symptoms, uh, T, timing, uh, E, any exacerbating. Um, or relieving factors, and then S, severity. Yeah. So I think, I actually find it's quite applicable for most sorts of presenting of late. Uh, Would you like to ask me? Yeah, so um, can I just ask where the chest pain exactly is? This chap's presented with uh, pain and chest pain in the centre of his chest. Okay, and when did this come on? So it's only been over the last few minutes, really. Um, It came on uh, during the consultation. That we've been having in the pre-op assessment, yeah. Relatively sudden then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's the character of the chest pain like? How would you how would it be described? So at the moment it feels quite heavy, um, but it's actually sort of getting a bit worse um, as as we're speaking, and it feels a bit crushing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and does the pain go anywhere else? Um, it's uh, it's going into his left arm a bit, um, and up into his jaw as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and does is he experiencing anything else such as? Feeling sick or a little bit short of breath? Definitely, you know, he feels he feels uh, a bit nauseous. He's not he's not vomited, but he's starting to feel a bit sweaty, and he is getting a bit breathless. And is the pain still there now? Is it coming or going, or what's um, the distribution of the pain like in time? So it's it's quite constant actually. It's it's kind of it's started and it's it's not really stopped yet. Okay, so I suppose exacerbating factors, we can say that the patient was just. Was talking to us um, wasn't particularly much, but is, mm-hmm. has anything relieved it? Has he tried to take anything else at all? He took some he took some GTN spray, which he carries around with him, um, but this hasn't helped. Didn't help? No. Okay. Uh, and what would the patient rate it out of 10, with 10 being the worst pain he's experienced? Well, as we're talking, it's actually, the pain's just increasing, um, okay. and it's gone up to about a 9 out of 10 now. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, going back to just taking the history in general, this... As, as helpful as Socrates is, is there any key questions do you think that doesn't that's not included in Socrates that you think we should ask? Well, we need to know about so that's mainly his history of his presenting complaint. We need mm-hmm. to know about his health in general, really. So his yeah. past medical history. So I'd like to ask: Has he ever had a heart attack before? Yeah. So even even just specific to the history of presenting complaint, you can just ask: Have you ever had this pain before? Yeah. But no, uh, this patient's never had this had this okay. pain before. So has he got any other medical problems? So particularly for if we're thinking MI, 
or ACS, we want to think about diabetes, mm -hmm. uh, hypertension, yeah. as you get high cholesterol. Yeah. Um, those would be my main ones I'd want to, to rule out. Okay. And also, is you know, is the patient obese? Um, but I suppose we don't. That's not one you might want to ask the patient. <laughs> but yeah, when you take a history initially, you want to keep it quite general. Um, rather than focusing in too much, I think that's something that we all do, especially when we first start out taking histories. Definitely. Um, we, we focus a bit too much. We need to make sure that we, we ask about sort of everything. But yeah, um, definitely I think these are key things that you need to ask in any cardiac history. Um, what do you think will be quite important in the drug history? Well, you've already told me he's got GCN spray. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of pointing me in the direction that this is cardiac related pain mm -hmm. uh, does he take anything for blood pressure so any antihypertensives yeah does he take anything like simvastatin or torvastatin and mm -hmm. um, if he's already on aspirin clopidogrel um, and I guess as well anything like warfarin or rivaroxaban which might suggest yeah. some other cardiac issues as well good and um, what's, what, what else is key in taking in the drug history Oh, um, yeah, allergies. That's one thing I always forget. <laughs> um, okay, so moving on to the... Uh, so obviously you take a bit of a family history as well. Um, and then moving on to the social history, what's quite key in this, in this particular case? So social history, you want to know really about the classic, are they, do they smoke or are they a drinker? Mm -hmm. um, what do they do for a job? Are they quite uh, sedentary or quite active? Yeah. And um, yeah, what do they do much exercise? Um mm -hmm. that's important to know. Good. Yeah. So all those are obviously really important. So with this particular patient, um he's got a past medical history of uh diabetes, he's got type two diabetes, he's got um hypertension, um and he's also got angina, um, which obviously we know was GTN spray. He's currently taking bisoprolol, ramaprol, metformin and GTN. Um, he smokes and he has a 20-pack year history. He drinks about 15 units a week and he works as a lorry driver. Okay. Okay. So let's move on to the examination of the patient. So what, what do you think you'll be looking for? Um, so I can just, it's always important for examination is to first of all know the obs which we already know. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I always like to get before I examine a patient. Yeah. Um, and then you can just inspect, inspect from the end of the bed, um, or if he's sitting down in the chair, the chair, uh, and see how does he look in general. Is he short of breath? Does he look well perfused? Does he look in pain? Is he in respiratory distress? Um, and then obviously, depending on how acute the situation is, you can always break it down to an A, B, C, D, E. Mm -hmm. um, but here, I guess, we can just go through each system. Um, so with his um, cardiac system, uh, I can feel his pulse. We know he's a little bit tachycardic. I want to know, is it regular? Mm -hmm. um, listen to his heart sounds. Has he got any murmurs? Yep. Look at his uh, JVP. Is it raised? Um, we can go on then to listen to his chest. Uh, well, examine his chest. Um, we want to rule out any um, underlying pleural effusion. We can percuss and we can auscultate mm -hmm. um, for any crackles or wheeze. Yep. Um, and then we can also, as well, chest pain... Uh, can also be mistaken for abdominal pain. Yeah. So it's important to examine the ab abdominal system, particularly Definitely. the epigastric region. Yeah. We want to think about 
things like pancreatitis and biliary colic can present quite high up in the abdomen. So mm -hmm. just examine and see if there's any tenderness or masses in his abdomen. Excellent. Good. So, um, so on, on examination of this patient, he's quite, he's quite cool um, and clammy, but he looks like he's in pain. So we know from his previous observations that his, his heart rate's 90, um, and this is of a regular rhythm, and he's got good character. He doesn't have any heart sounds or any murmurs, and his JVP is not elevated. His chest is clear, and his abdomen is soft and non-tender. So should we move on to investigations? Yeah. Um, so you've got free reign of anything you'd like to order. Oh, um, right, okay. Yeah. But let's start with the simple things. So okay. I personally like to divide um, divide things up into bedside tests, imaging, and special tests. Yeah. So if we go for the bedside tests, what sort of things are we, are we going to do first? Um, well, for a chest pain, you always want to get an ECG straight away. Yeah. So even before an ECG. Okay. Um, um, what, we what could do some do? bloods. Yeah. So what, what sort of bloods would you like to take? Um, well, we can do an FBC, yeah. and we can check his white cells and his fills to see if there's any sign of infection. We can see if he's Good. anemic, because yep. that can uh, lead to um, you know, a heart chest pain. Yep. Um, check mm -hmm. his urinese. Mm -hmm. I suppose we can check his renal function. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think just because, particularly, yeah. is he's diabetic as well. Yeah, he's right. so because he's diabetic and he's also on antihypertensives like the ramipril. Uh, yeah. Affect it. Um, why else might you want to check the knees and knees? Um. So, he can get like raised potassium, which might be causing uh, definitely chest pain. Yeah. Palpitations. Yeah. So you could get arrhythmias that are caused from sort of any electrolyte disturbance. Yeah. Really. Um, the knees and knees will definitely help with that. Uh, what other uh, blood tests would you like to take? I suppose we should get a troponin for this guy. Yep. For a troponin eye for the onset of his chest pain. And yeah. we can do a repeat in six hours. Possibly. Yeah. Um, and then we can also get a CRP to rule mm -hmm. that infection. Yep. And clotting. Good. So why, why do you want to look at the clotting? Um, I'm not really sure. It's just a routine test that I'd normally <laughs> put onto the blood. Terrible answer. Um, okay, so uh, so essentially, if if the patient needs to go for any thrombolysis, um, okay. or if the patient, if we're worried about the PE or anything, yeah. they might need uh, some sort of low molecular hip. Um, and you mentioned the ECG, definitely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, patient's got chest pain, so of course you're going to want to do an ECG. Um, further imaging wise, what what might you what might you also want? A uh, simple one to get would just be a chest X-ray, because mm -hmm. um, that can rule out. It's mainly just to rule out that there's any other anything else that might be causing the chest pain, like yeah. a pneumothorax or um, pneumonia. Yeah, and you also um, might see cardiac failure yeah. um, on the chest X-ray as well. Um, and uh, what other special tests might you like? Um, I suppose we can do an echo mm -hmm. just to check if there is signs of cardiac failure on his chest X-ray. Yeah. Um, and then I suppose the absolute ultimate would be cardio uh, angiography yeah so that we can actually visualize his um coronary arteries good so um we've got some results back uh, really quickly the lab's doing really well today so the bloods so his hemoglobin level is 135 okay um and i've got we've got the normal normal range here as well so his hemoglobin is 135 his white cells are 9.8 his sodium is 138 his potassium is 4.5, his EGFR is more than 90, okay. and his troponin was elevated. 
I haven't put the result there because it differs between the various hospitals, but it's, it's okay. elevated. Um, so what, what, what do you think about these blood tests? So I'm not concerned about his full blood count or UNEs, mm -hmm. but the raised troponin yep. is starting to point towards a myocardial infarction. Yeah, or, yeah definitely. Um, why would you say it's not uh, a non-stable angina? Um, I thought they don't tend to get changes in Good, the troponin. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it was a trick question. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the main difference between having a myocardial infarction and the unstable angina. Yeah. Um, so you might see the ECG changes, which we're going to look at in a second. Okay. Um, but yeah, you won't see the, the raised troponin. So we've got a, we've got a, we've got his ECG here as well. Okay. What sorts of methods do you use to to assess an ECG? Um, I always remember rate, rhythm, and axis. Uh, axis. Mm -hmm. from uh, med school yeah. so we could just look at the right yeah cheap way is just to look at the top <laughs> okay but, so uh, no, yeah sad, sadly we don't have that on this on this particular ECG, okay so either I tend to count I can count the QRS complexes on the rhythm strip and then times it by six I think it is yeah um or well the best thing to do is count the number of large squares between two QRS complexes and then do 300 divided by that value to give yeah. us the Give us our rate. Good. I think it was 90 here, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, the next is um, to look at the rhythm. Mm -hmm. um, so is it regular? Mm -hmm. I think it is for this guy. Yeah. Um, obviously, if he's he might be in fast AF, which is something that can also cause a chest pain, but he's not here. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the axis. Um, so everyone does axis slightly differently. Yeah. But you can look at different leads, so I tend to look at um, leads AVF and lead one, okay. and you have to look at which way they're pointing. Yeah. Um, I can't really do it on a podcast because I normally use my thumbs to work out <laughs> which way it is, but yeah. No, it's fine. Well, we'll imagine. Um, so yeah, his axis is normal. And uh, what, so what do you tend to do after, after looking at those things then? So then what I tend to do is look down at the rhythm strip, and I'll just look at the QRS complex just to see if it's sinus. So we need to see is there a P wave uh, and a normal QRS complex mm -hmm. and a T wave. Yeah. Um, once I've looked at the rhythm strip, I then tend to look at um, the anterior leads, and then got work my way down to the lateral leads. Good. To see if there's any changes in that T wave inversion or ST elevation. Okay. So what what do you see on this one? Um. So I can see there's some ST depression. Good. Is that in the anterior leads? Uh. Yes, it is. It is in the anterior leads. Yeah. Good. So um, so yeah so this this ECG so like you said there's a normal there's a normal rate um, and rhythm and it's got ST depression so now we've got his chest X-ray as well okay yeah so what sorts of methods do you use to look at chest X-rays um, everyone has like slightly different techniques but I try and just do an A B C D approach mm -hmm. um, and you can't really miss anything if you do that so. A, first of all, you can just look at the airway. So yeah. just look at the trachea. Is it deviated? Mm -hmm. um, and you can tend to follow it down to the um, the, the the left bronchus and the right bronchus. Um, then you, look at, you can also look at B, the bones. So mm -hmm. rib fractures can get missed. Um, they can cause chest pain. Um, C, let's with cardiac. We can look at the heart. Is it enlarged? Which yeah. it isn't here. No. Uh, D, the diaphragm. Um, are they flattened? People all tend to miss 
the recesses of the diaphragm. Yeah. So always look there. Yeah. Uh, and then and the ears. To see yeah. Any, any sort of infusions. Yeah. Um, and then everything else, I guess, is the nice, easy way to <laughs> put it. So yeah. we can just have a look at the lungs in general. Do they look well expanded? Any consolidation? But yeah. This one to me looks normal. Yeah, yeah. So it looks normal to me as well. Okay, so if we take go back to our history and the examination and all the investigations, um, and then we we tie this all in together. We think about our differential diagnoses. Um, let's go back to the sort of life-threatening and non-life-threatening. Which which one do you think it is? Uh, well, this if we're thinking cardiac, then yeah, probably life-threatening. I'll go with. Okay, so if we look at our differential list again from from these life-threatening causes, which one do you think is the most likely? Most likely an ACS, yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, I would agree with you. Um, and obviously we need to bear, bear in mind that in elderly people and in diabetics, um, an ACS is often a bit atypical sometimes. Okay, so while we're talking to him, um, he starts to deteriorate, um, and the nurse, Julie, rechecks his observations. So his blood pressure has now dropped to 90 over 52, his heart rate's gone up to 110, his respiratory rate's 20, and his saturations are 92% on air. His temperature is 37.2 still. What would you like to do next? Um, I always approach this with an ABCD assessment because yeah. this patient's now unstable. Good. Um, a is really easy to do. Yep. You just talk to the patient mm -hmm. and make sure that they're, they're talking all right and that they are breathing and that they have got a patent airway. Mm -hmm. um, so even though we know, so it, his saturations have dropped a bit, so yeah. um, what, what would you like to do? So then we can just get oxygen on straight away. Yeah. 15 um, litres. Yeah, how would you give the 15 litres? Um, I suppose you can give it through, a, is it a non-rebreathe mask? Yeah, it's about two, up to about two or three litres you can give it by the nasal cannula. Yeah. Otherwise, a bit higher than that, you give the venturi masks. Using yeah. the different um, the different valves. Yeah. But then, if you want to give fifteen, about ten to fifteen liters, you should probably give it through a non-rebreather. Okay, so you've done your airway, good. And then straight on to B, so mm -hmm. we can just look at him and see if he looks cyanosed or whether he's in any respiratory distress, um, and we then listen and percuss his chest. Okay. Um, Which I'll tell you now, this patient's uh, his, his chest sounds absolutely clear. Okay, so I'm not thinking particular but chest problem at the moment so then we can do is the C onto his cardiac so always feel I always feel the pulse first and how mm -hmm. well perfused they are so his heart rate is, was 110 wasn't it yeah um, and check his blood pressure which is low uh, and then obviously you need to auscultate the heart and check cap refill time I guess the yeah. cap refill time here may be a little bit slow yeah so in C we then try and fix the thing straight away that we find abnormal so mm -hmm. we can pop a cannula in and give yeah. him some stat fluid. Yeah. And obviously we've already got the blood results, um, but otherwise we would yeah. We would oh, yeah, take, take some, some bloods. Yeah. Um, and what, not, not in particular in this case, but what else um, might you want to do um, if a patient uh, was seen to be bleeding or something? Oh, so if they're bleeding, I guess we... Is it a group and save we have to get if they're bleeding? Yeah, uh, bleeding? so I think if they're imminently bleeding, then you want to take a cross-match, because that oh, comes cross -match, back. Yeah. Um, they can do that, depending on the labs, between about 15 minutes and about 45 minutes. Okay. Um, and, but group and saves take a lot longer. Oh, okay. Yeah. But well, thankfully, this patient doesn't appear to have any signs of bleeding. Um, Good. But we're going to go and assess that next in D, aren't we? So what yeah. was D? 
So do we could just do a brief avpu and mm -hmm. just check his conscious level, yeah. which I think is probably good here. Yeah. Yes. Um, check. I, I always check his temperature in D as well. Yeah. Um, we can also do a BM, particularly if he's diabetic. We can just check Definitely, that. Yeah. Um, and then I often tend to feel the abdomen in D mm -hmm. or C. I just depends where it, where it fits in. Mm -hmm. um, but we can then just look at his general appearance and is there any bleeding, obvious bleeding from anywhere. Um, chest pain, it's always a good idea to check the calves in, um, in E as well to check there's no swelling, okay. which might be a DVT. And uh, hopefully not applicable to this case unless no. it deteriorates further, yeah. but what's another really important thing, quite neurological, that you should check? GCS? I oh, know we've done that, haven't we? Yeah, so the, the AFP is obviously quite a, just oh, a good, so quick one. Oh, so the pupils we yeah, can check. Yeah, definitely. Them. So his pupils, so thankfully this guy, so his aperexial, his abdomen soft and non-tender and his, his pupils are equal reactive to light. Um, but he does seem a bit sweaty. So we're a bit concerned about him. And given given the ST depression that we saw earlier on, um, and we're most likely thinking it's an ACS, he's in pain. Uh, what sorts of things would you immediately like to do? Uh, so if he's in pain, we can always correct that, give him some, particularly for ACS, we can give him some morphine. Yep, and we know he doesn't have any allergies. Yeah. So. Uh, and then I use the acronym MONA, yep. so oxygen, yep. we've already got that on, mm -hmm. and then nitrates is already tried as GTN spray, yeah. So, but we can always try it again, mm -hmm. uh, and then we want to think about giving aspirin, Yeah. so 300 milligrams stack. Excellent. And, uh, and what's the next thing that you're going to be screaming for? I think I'd have probably done it like straight, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just call for help. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things that when you're actually in the situation, you'll do it straight away. Yeah. So, um, so obviously, given that we're on a surgical ward, uh, well, we'll be on pre-assessment here, but uh, the first the first person you probably call is maybe your, your surgical registrar. Yeah. Um, and in this particular case, they may actually refer you to go and speak to the medical registrar. Um, but what sort of, uh, when you call them for help, uh, how what sort of structure do you use to hand over? Um, you can use SBAR, yeah, so which what, everyone uses in the hospital. So what, what does that stand for? So first situation, so just tell them who you are mm -hmm. and where you are um, and what the problem is. So this is someone with chest pain. Um, then give a, a bit of a background, what's happened in the past 10 minutes that's made you worried. Mm -hmm. um, then A is your assessment of the patient, so you can just give them the important ops, yep. particularly here, his blood pressure. Is, and he's tachycardic. Mm -hmm. um, and then R is um, recommendations. So in, in this part, you can say to the, whoever it is, oh, please, I, I would appreciate your assessment. Is there anything you'd like me to do in the meantime? Yeah. Good. So you've done your SBAR handover to the medical reg, um, and they said that they're on their way. But in the meantime, just um, you thought, okay, you'll look up the guidelines on how to treat um, a what's suspected to be a, a non-ST elevation myocardial infarct. Yeah. Um, so the guidelines uh, in this particular, well, for NICE, they say that if you want a coronary angiography within 24 hours, then you know you, you just follow this pathway, really. So if you do, then you tend to give unfractionated heparin. Yeah. Um, and then you do sort of a, a GRACE score. Have you, have you heard what the GRACE score is? I have, but I couldn't give it you off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, well, fortunately, when you work in a hospital, there's computers everywhere. You can always look them up. Um, so uh, essentially, this estimates the 
the admission to six-month mortality for patients with acute coronary syndromes. Um, and there's calculators that you can you can use online to, to look at it. Um, essentially, it takes in sort of the systolic BP, the heart rate, the age, um, and just a few other things, and it calculates uh, their six-month mortality. So that's all for an endstemy. Um, if it was a if it was a STEMI, what would you then? How would you then manage it? So if it's a STEMI, um, I want to give aspirin and clopidogrel three hundred milligrams. I suppose we've already done that, haven't we? So in a STEMI, what you ideally want to do is if it's within about three hours of the of the pain first starting, you want to see if you can get a um, percutaneous curry intervention. Yeah. Yeah. So you want What's to. What's the timing on that? So it's about it's about three hours. Three hours. Yeah. Okay. Because after three hours, it's shown that the it's not as effective essentially. Okay. Um. So ideally. Um, as soon as you see it, you know you need to be talking to. As soon as you see a STEMI on an ECG, you need to be talking to your reg, yeah. um, getting the cardiology involved, and transferring them to if it's a different hospital, then transfer them to a different hospital where yeah. it's available. Definitely. Um, so the med reg arrives, um, and you know they're, they're sorting this patient out for you, which is nice. Um, but they're then just sort of asking you um, if you can if you can make sure their long term management. Is going to be sorted out. So things like lifestyle advice. What sort of lifestyle advice would you give to the patient? So they need to have healthy eating. Yep. Needs physical exercise. Yeah. This guy was a lorry driver. Wasn't he? So yeah. Quite sedentary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, smoking and alcohol are two major mm-hmm. things. Ask them to stop or cut down on. Yeah. And um, what's what medications you tend to make sure the patients are on? So. They tend to go on to an ACE inhibitor like Ramipril yeah. and Bisoprolol, beta yeah. blocker. Um, then you can give them some antiplatelet therapy. So a lot of people are on aspirin, about 75 milligrams, mm-hmm. and possibly clopidogrel. Yeah. And then a statin is another one that they go on to. So yeah. simvastatin or atorvastatin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah. And then uh, you can also add in a beta blocker as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so the other thing that we should always make sure we do for long-term, um, like post-ACS, is make sure that there's a clear plan for the GP. Yeah. Um, so things like plans for drug ty- titration. So, you know, if, if the, uh, I think after a STEMI, some patients are on sort of a high-dose aspirin, which then needs to be titrated down and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, okay. Um, and they also need to monitor blood pressures and, and renal functions, um, especially when they're on quite a few antibiotics. Yeah. effective. Definitely. Good. Thank you for listening to another podcast brought to you by School of Surgery. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook at School of Surgery, on iTunes, on Podomatic at schoolofsurgery.podomatic.com, and finally, by searching School of Surgery on YouTube. Thank you very much, and see you next time.